0: From my kennel to yours, it's the other animals for Wednesday, June 23rd of 2021, a rare midweek installation of the program. Hope everyone's having a great summer. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've done it, and it's going to be a few weeks in the future going ahead until we get back on a regular schedule here. But uh, we, we have a good show, I, I think, planned for today. Uh, we're going to be talking a bit later on with um, a new author, Margaret Strohmeyer. And she's written a uh, really uh, <laughs> a applicable book for kids who are thinking about uh, think about getting their first pet it's called What to know before you you get your dog and um, you may think uh, writing for writing for children is uh, is a slam dunk but I <clears throat> I know from uh, from personal, experience that, uh, that, that is a tough market and it's a tough, uh, it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy adventure. And, uh, you'll see here that she, she handles this subject with great skill, uh, and beautiful, beautiful illustration. And, and, uh, if, if you do have a kid or kids or someone of the youthful persuasion that is, uh, looking to get their first pet, And, um, you you know, we've actually talked about this on the program a few times with uh, Dr. Picard, where it all seems, um, oh, just fine for the first couple of weeks and the child will just just be relentless. Oh, I got to have it. I got to have it. And, uh, you know, we as responsible parents will say, well, you know, it's a long term commitment, but, uh, you know. The one, once the the rose is off uh, or the shine is off the, the petal, however that goes, right? Two weeks later, you know, one's walking the dog. Right? We've all lived that. Well, well, this uh, this book kind of uh, makes it really clear and, and communicates to. Um, to the kids, uh, really what they're getting into and why, why it's so important. So you're going to stick around for that. Um, and a bit later on, uh, speaking of Dr. Picard, uh, <laughs> one, one of them, I don't know, we we call this a darker subject, but it's, it's a applicable one for this time of year. We're going to, we're going to go home on the mange, uh, if you pardon the pun and, uh, you know, what, what happens in, in the summer, particularly with this, with, with mange, and uh, why it's such a difficult and nasty problem and he's got some really good advice for you Uh, before we do any of that though um earlier this week one of my former guests um wendy williams who i've had on twice when she's talked about horses and uh she's talked about butterflies she's written books on both of those she posted this very very delightful um on facebook posted a little new yorker comic and uh, it, it has a picture of a well-intended reader. Wendy is is a tremendous reader. She's constantly posting about books and, and, and the joy of books. And um, this uh, it's a well-meaning gentleman on a beach. He's got uh, sitting on a beach chair. He's got a nice hardback book. He's reading and a, uh, and a looks to be a a officer of the law is approaching him hands on hips, looking very stern and uh, reproaching this reader and the caption is, "I'm sorry, sir, but Dostoevsky is not considered summer reading. I have to ask you to come with me." And uh, this this struck me as incredibly apt because here in the middle of summer, I am in fact reading <laughs> *Crime and Punishment*. I, I don't know. I figured, you know, it's summertime, I'd sort of catch up on, on on stuff that you know, quote unquote, should have read in, in high school or college, and I never quite got around to. But we actually had a couple classes uh, uh, read a couple from Dostoevsky. I I liked him. I'm sorry if that's that's nerdy or geeky, but but I, I mention all this because um, there's a p- passage early on in the book uh, that was so apt. Speaking of former guests, that I I, I just have to stop. And if you're going to indulge me for for a few minutes here, I'm I'm going to read this. This it comes out of. Uh, one of the earlier chapters, I think it's. I, I, I'm not through the book, by the way, so uh, I can't even give myself a spoiler alert. So th- this is fairly fairly early in the book. I have a I have a sense that it is uh, it is it is uh, significant in terms of where where we're going with this in the book. But I'm going to ask you to indulge me here, and I'm going to read you a, a couple pages of this because um, it, it's too apt not to. Okay, so here we go. Um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, from *Crime and Punishment*. Raskolnikov had a fearful dream. He dreamt he was back in his childhood in the little town of his birth. He was a child about seven years old walking into the country with his father on the evening of a holiday. It was a gray and heavy day. The country was exactly as he remembered it. Indeed, he recalled it far more vividly in his dream than he had done in memory. The little town stood on a level flat as bare as the hand, not even a willow near it. Only in the far distance, a cop sleigh a dark blur on the very edge of the horizon. A few paces beyond the last market garden stood a tavern, a big tavern, which uh, had always aroused in him a feeling of aversion, even of fear when he walked by it with his father. There was always a crowd there, always shouting, laughing, and abuse. Hideous horse singing and often fighting. Drunken and horrible looking figures were hanging about the the tavern. He used to cling close to his father, trembling all over when he met them. Near the tavern, the road became a dusty track the dust of which was always black. It was a winding road and about 100 paces further on it turned to the right to the graveyard. In the middle of the graveyard stood a stone church with a green cupola, where he used to go to mass two or three times a year with his father and mother, when a service was held in memory of his grandmother who had long been dead and whom he had never seen. On these occasions, they used to take on a white dish tied up in a table napkin, a special sort of rice pudding with raisins stuck in it in the shape of a cross. He loved that church, the old-fashioned, unadorned icons and the old priest with the shaking head. Near his grandmother's grave, which was marked by a stone, was a little grave of his younger brother who had died at six months old. He did not remember him at all, but he had been told about his little brother, and whenever he visited the graveyard, he used religiously and reverently to cross himself and to bow down and kiss the little grave. And now he dreamt that he was walking with his father past the tavern on the way to the graveyard. He was holding his father's hand and looking with dread at the tavern. A peculiar circumstance attracted his attention. There seemed to be some kind of festivity going on. There were crowds of gaily dressed townspeople, peasant women, their husbands, and riffraff of all sorts, all singing and all more or less drunk. Near the entrance of the tavern stood a cart, but a strange cart. It was one of those big carts usually drawn by heavy uh, heavy cart horses and laden with casks of wine or other heavy goods. He always liked looking at those great cart horses with their long manes, thick legs, and slow, even pace, drawing along a perfect mountain with no appearance of effort, as though it were easier going with a load than without it. But now, strange to say, in the shafts of such a cart, he saw a thin little sorrel beast, one of those peasants' nags, which he had often seen straining their utmost under a heavy load of wood or hay, especially when the wheels were stuck in the mud or in a rut. And the peasants would beat them so cruelly, sometimes even about the nose and eyes, and he felt so sorry, so sorry for them, that he almost cried. And his mother always used to take him away from the window. All of a sudden, there was a great uproar of shouting, singing, and the balalaika, and from the tavern A number of big and very drunken peasants came out, wearing red and blue shirts and coats thrown over their shoulders. Get in, get in, shouted one of them, a young thick-necked peasant with a fleshy face red as a carrot. uh, With a fleshy face red as a carrot. I'll take you all, get in. But at once there was an outbreak of laughter and exclamations in the crowd. Take us all with a beast like that. Why, Mikulka, are you crazy to put a nag like that in such a cart? And this mare is 20 if she is a day, mates. Get in, I'll take you all, Mikolka shouted again, leaping first into the cart, seizing the reins and standing straight up in front. The bay has gone with Matby, he shouted from the cart. And this brute, mates, is just breaking my heart. I feel as if I could kill her. She's just eating her head off. Get in, I tell you. I'll make her gallop. She'll gallop. And he picked up the whip, preparing himself with relish to flog the little mare. "'Get in, come along,' the crowd laughed. "'Do you hear? She'll gallop. "'Gallop, indeed. "'She has not had a gallop in here for the last ten years. "'She'll jog along. "'Don't you mind her, mates. "'Bring a whip, each of you. Get ready. "'All right, give it to her.' "'They all clambered into McCulka's cart, "'laughing and making jokes. Six men got in, and there was still room for more. "'They hauled in a fat, rosy-cheeked woman. "'She was dressed in red cotton, "'in a pointed beaded headdress "'and thick leather shoes.' <clears throat> She was cracking nuts and laughing. The crowd round them was laughing too. And indeed, how could they help laughing? That wretched nag was to drag all the cartload of them at a gallop. Two young fellows in the cart were just getting whips ready to help Michalka. With the cry of, now, the mare tugged with all her might, but far from galloping, could scarcely move forward. She struggled with her legs, gasping and shrinking from the blows of the three whips, which were showered upon her like hail. The laughter in the cart and in the crowd was redoubled, but Mikulka flew into a rage and furiously thrashed the mare as though he supposed she really could gallop. Let me get in too, mates, shouted a young man in the crowd whose appetite was aroused. Get in, all get in, cried Mikulka. She will draw you all. I'll beat her to death. And he thrashed and thrashed at the mare beside himself with fury. Father, father, he cried. Father, what are they doing? "'Father, they are beating the poor horse.' "'Come along, come along,' said his father. "'They are drunken and foolish. "'They are in fun. "'Come away. "'Don't look.' "'And he tried to draw him away, "'but he tore himself away from his hand, "'and beside himself with horror ran to the horse. "'The poor beast was in a bad way. "'She was gasping, standing still, "'then tugging again and almost falling. "'Beat her to death!' cried Mikalka. It's time to do that. I'll do for her. What are you about? Are you a Christian, you devil? shouted an old man in the crowd. Did anyone ever see the like? A wretched nag like that, pulling such a cartload, said another. You'll kill her, shouted the third. Don't meddle. It's my property. (laughs) I'll do what I choose. Get in, more of you. Get in, all of you. I will have her go at a gallop. All at once, laughter broke into a roar and covered everything. The mayor roused by the shower of blows began feebly kicking even the old man could not help smiling to think of a wretched little beast like that trying to kick two lads in the crowd snatched up whips and ran to the mare to beat her about the ribs one ran each side I guess that was one ran to each side hit her in the face in the eyes in the eyes cried Mikalka give us a song mates shouted someone in the cart and everyone in the cart joined in a riotous song jingling a tambourine and whistling The woman went on cracking nuts and laughing. He ran beside the mare, ran in front of her, saw her being whipped across the eyes, right in the eyes. He was crying. He felt choking. His tears were streaming. One of the men gave him a cut with the whip across the face. He did not feel it. Wringing in his hands and screaming, he rushed up to the gray-headed old man with the gray beard, who was shaking his head in disapproval. One woman seized him by the hand and would have taken him away, but he tore himself from her and ran back to the mare. She was almost at the last gasp, but began kicking once more. I'll teach you to kick, McCulka shouted ferociously. He threw down the whip, bent forward and picked up from the bottom of the cart a long, thick shaft. He took hold of one end with both hands and with an effort brandished it over the mare. He'll crush her, was shouted round him. He'll kill her. It's my property, shouted Mikulka, and brought the shaft down with a swinging blow. There was a sound of a heavy thud. Thrasher, Thrasher, why have you stopped, shouted voices in the crowd. And Mikulka swung the shaft a second time, and it fell a second time on the spine of the luckless mare. She sank back on her haunches, but lurched forward and tugged forward with all her force, tugged first on one side and then on the other, trying to move the cart. But the six whips were attacking her in all directions, and the shaft was raised again and fell upon her a third time, then a fourth, with heavy, measured blows. Mikulka was in a fury that he could not kill her at one blow. She's a tough one, was shouted in the crowd. She'll fall in a minute, mates. There will soon be an end of her, said an admiring spectator in the crowd. Fetch an axe to her. Finish her off, shouted a third. I'll show you. Stand off, Mikulka screamed frantically. He threw down the shaft, stooped down in the cart, and picked up an iron crowbar. Look out, he shouted, and with all his might, he dealt a stunning blow at the poor mare. The blow fell. The mare staggered, sank back, tried to pull, but the bar fell again with a swinging blow on her back, and she fell on the ground like a log. Finish her off, shouted McColka, and he leapt beside himself out of the cart. Several young men also flushed with the drunk Uh, seized anything they could come across, whips, sticks, poles, and ran to the dying mare. Mikulka stood on one side and began dealing random blows with the crowbar. The mare stretched out her head, drew a long breath, and died. You butchered her, someone shouted in the crowd. Why wouldn't she gallop then? My property, shouted Mikulka with bloodshot eyes, brandishing the bar in his hands. He stood as though regretting that he had nothing more to beat. No mistake about it, you are not a Christian, many voices were shouting in the crowd. But the poor boy beside himself made his way, screaming through the crowd to the sorrel nag, put his arms around her bleeding dead head, and kissed it, kissed the eyes and kissed the lips. Then he jumped up and flew in a frenzy with his little fists out at Mikolka. At that instant, his father, who had been running after him, snatched him up and carried him out of the crowd. Come along, come let's go home, he said to him. Father, why did they kill the poor horse? He sobbed, but his voice broke and the words came in shrieks from his panting chest. They are drunk, they are brutal, it's not our business, said his father. He put his arms around his father, but he felt choked, choked up. He tried to draw a breath to cry out and woke up. So the entire story, And I appreciate you indulging indulge me there. Uh, it's, of course, it's it's too applicable <laughs> to so many so many things that we've talked about. Of course, the concept of property, the concept of being able to do whatever you want because it is it is property. Uh, but more to, to the point, uh, there um, there is uh, a striking similarity between a story like that, and that is, of course, just that that's it's from a novel, and what particularly two of our guests have said, almost incredible stories of, of similar passion that motivated them to become who they are. And I'm going to play for you if, if you'll again indulge me some excerpts uh, from these interviews. Uh, the first is from uh, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. It was from Ingrid Newkirk. And uh, listen to her as she, as she describes this, uh, this exact instance where she came across a, a scene almost identical to what to what Dostoevsky described in his dream and how it, it later uh, motivates her to, uh, to action there 's a story in there of you and, and I, I believe it 's a childhood story uh, you 're still in India and um, you 're in i, I believe it 's like a, a little restaurant and you witness uh, you 're witnessing a, a bull outside uh, mm. being abused that 's what if you could tell that story. Um, and then, then I have a a question. Do you know which story I'm talking about?
1: Oh, yes, I do because it was a pivotal moment in my life. Um, and it it was actually kind of frightening for another reason, but, um, I was seven or eight. I just arrived not, yeah, not long ago in India. I was in Delhi. I was actually sitting in my dining room in my home and we had this enormous plate glass window and I could see, a about a block away there was a main road and along the road while I was drinking my soup I saw this man coming along with a bullock which we would call a steer here um, pulling a heavy cart I imagine it was heavy I can't really remember it must have been and the bullock was faltering and as I watched he um, fell down and the man jumped off the cart he'd been hitting him Um, But not with any great vigor. But when the bull collapsed, the man jumped off the cart and he had a thick stick in his hand. He lifted up the bull's tail and he ran the stick up inside him. And, of course, that was just beyond. And I dropped my soup spoon and I ran and I ran to get near him. And I actually, child that I was, I was so full of fury and that's what's frightening to me is how furious I was really is I seized that stick from that man and I made him kneel down and I would have hit him with that stick. But somebody had seen me run and they ran up behind me and stopped me. And to this day, I I wonder what happened to that poor bull because I was taken away and I never know. But the cruelty, which is, Ordinary. I go back to India all the time and I'm not saying it's crueler there than anywhere else. It's just in front of you mm-hmm. on the street where you can see it's not hidden away, mm-hmm. you know, in a laboratory where we also have video. Yeah, or sort of. And yeah. we have video of the people who work in those places in England and the United States of America and Germany doing these things. But in India, it's in, on the street in front of you. You can see it every day that someone will whip an animal or beat them or just you know hit smack them in the face and so I tried to stop it and I I I don't know if I did or I didn't
0: amazing isn't it and um (laughs) there there is something about that moment when a child witnesses a uh, uh a something that is clearly wrong just moving into action just Take not even thinking about it, just jumping in and doing something without any any uh, thought of of, uh, of their own personal safety or consequences. And to me, that that seems like it's a very natural uh, response. And if a child can be uh, can be, it's, it's a fork in the road moment for a kid, right? So either the ch- uh, the, the adults who can can use that. And, and help the child continue to develop that and uh, stay with that or they can do with some of we've had on the to go the other direction you know we've had on on the, the show uh, people that have been through the 4-h experience or the uh, future farmers of america where in fact they're they're taught to completely disassociate they they have the moment where uh, they have a year where they're, they're raising you know some animal and they get attached to that and they have to learn that they they have detach and and watch the animal go off for slaughter and what that must do you know to the child to teach them to to desensitize it's it's um it's an either or all right listen um let let's uh let's uh it's been a little while and uh, let's do a couple of animals in the news we haven't done that in a while so let's see what's going on with that All right. Well, since we're, we're, we're kind of in a, <laughs> uh, in this, this zone here today, uh, we have a uh, last week, you know, we've been talking uh, about uh, these ag laws and in the United States, at least uh, we've, we've been on a, seems to be a fairly positive trend with this, with the uh, courts striking down most of them. We, we've talked about both uh, Iowa and, and uh, Kansas laws being uh, struck down uh, by various courts as being unconstitutional. Not that those are, those are done deals. But it it seems that at least the the, the ag-ag laws are are, are meeting their demise to some end. Uh, We're going the other direction, though, it looks like in uh, Canada. Uh, This story comes from uh, Sentient Media, who I am very much uh, hope to have a very large announcement with them here in a week or so, uh, doing a collaboration with them. But um, the um, Manitoba. Uh, became the fourth province in Canada to pass ag-gag laws. Let me just read you what's going on here. The province of Manitoba recently became the fourth province in Canada to pass ag-gag laws. Ag-gag laws got their name from the intended effective gagging activists from exposing the truth about animal agriculture industry. As the fourth province to pass ag-gag laws, Manitoba joins Alberta, Ontario, and Prince Edward Island. Ag-gag laws grew in popularity in the United States in the 2010s and were not introduced in Canada until 2019. These laws were introduced in direct reaction to increased animal rights activism and undercover investigations on farms and in slaughterhouses. Although each ag-gag law is different, common features include one, dramatically increasing fines for trespassing on farms, two, prohibit false pretenses or lying to get a job on a farm, and three, Reducing owner liability if activists get hurt on farm property. I can actually see number three. Uh, well, depend on the type of, of what, the, how they get hurt. Um, you know, if they're being attacked, obviously, no. Uh, a, new, a new feature of Canadian ag laws is banning interactions with animals on transport trucks. These laws work together to prevent activists and whistleblowers from recording and publicly sharing information about what happens to farm animals in Canada. The purpose of Ag Ag laws is clear. The animal agriculture industry and provincial governments don't want you to know what happens to animals on Canadian farms during transport or in slaughterhouses. This is extremely troubling as animal rights activists play an important truth telling role. Activists and undercover investigations have revealed. The conditions for animals in Canadian farms, for example, undercover invest investigations by animal justice and mercy for animals, uh, both who we have had on the show, have exposed alleged animal abuse and other animal welfare issues in Canadian agriculture, as the industry is exempted by provincial animal welfare laws activists become the last line of accountability for the public to learn the truth about the industry. In exposing the animal agriculture industry, activists also eliminate inhumane working conditions, environmental degradation, and food safety risks. So um, yeah, I mean, so that there's your Ag Gag 101 for you. We, uh, if you're a long time you, uh, some of that you probably know already. Uh, there is, of course, that that interesting wrinkle there in the Canadian version of the law, which is uh, even to, to get after the transport trucks, uh, you know, presumably after they've left the facility. So uh, from a legal perspective, that, that seems, how is that even possible? They're, they're off the private property at this point. They're on what presumably be, you know, the public street, the public road. And at that point, of course, uh, if, a, if an activist wants to either take film or try to help, you know, give water or whatever to one of these animals that are on the way to slaughter, I don't, I don't see how the law could could prohibit that. But there it is um so uh, we'll, we'll follow that we'll see what's happening uh in Canada whether whether they go through the same legal rigor and and hopefully these these laws get get struck down uh in a similar manner as, as they have in here in the states all right one more slightly uh not not such a, a a dark one this is just a a curiosity one this comes from the New York Times and um it has to do with Moray Eels uh and being the New York Times it has a clever headline when an eel climbs a ramp to eat squid from a clamp that's a more you know that that's you get it you get it all right so there's a little bit of video with this one i'll go ahead and post this on the website but it's it's a really curious uh, curious kind of little critter here. Uh, we actually i was going to have a, a show the same uh, series where we, we did about the medieval ass well the, there's another series in there on the eel and i was contemplating doing a whole show on the eel I don't know how, how that would go. Let, let me know if you'd be interested in, in hearing a show about eels and and, uh, and I'll, I'll proceed with that. I just d- didn't know whether that would that would go over. So uh, here's just a little description of it. In the video, forceps nudge a piece of squid that sits on a ramp as an offering. Suddenly a snowflake moray eel named Kwani heaves its muscled bucatini of a body out of the water and onto the ramp. It opens its mouth and bites the squid. The eel pauses a moment, opens its mouth again and as if its tongue were a conveyor belt, sucks the squid even deeper into its mouth using a secret set of jaws in his throat. It's very, uh, if you see the video, it is, um, what's the word for it? You know, you, it, it's gross, but you're drawn to it because of its grossness. Um, there's just something where you see this thing go down, go down this animal's throat without it, without it doing anything other than like sucking it down. <clears throat> this uh, particular eel, Mukbang, to Rita S. Mehta, an evolutionary bio- biologist at the University of California, Santa Cruz, was cinematic gold, <laughs> yes it was, footage that showed the bite, the prey transport with secondary jaws and the swallow. Her team had taped loads of footage of the eels feeding on the ramp but none that showed the act from beginning to end. Dr. Mehta first described the Maury's eels second set of choppers known as pharyngeal jaws, I may need Dr. Tom to help me with that pronunciation, in 2007. When a moray hunts, it seizes its prey with the teeth of its outer jaw, and then its pharyngeal jaws leap forward out of the throat and into the mouth to grasp the prey and drag it deeper into the eel's body. Now, Dr. Mehta has described how snowflake eels and other morays use their pharyngeal jaws to feed just as effectively on land as in water, according to a study published this month in the Journal of Experimental Biology. So uh, I'll post that up there. It's kind of... Uh, in keeping with the theme today, which is sort of slimy and and um, kind of repelling and uh, and uh, and yet uh, compelling at the same time, so uh, a little little bit of uh, intrigue there in in our animal kingdom. All right, uh, that's, that's I think we, we, we've we've uh, we've done enough on the dark side. When we come back, um, we're going to hear my uh, conversation, uh, my interview with uh, Margaret Strohmeyer and her new book, What to Know before you get your dog. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm George Brett for PETA. Summer is here and family activities are in full swing. Make sure
0: that your entire home team is protected from the heat. It takes only minutes for a dog to become dehydrated, sustain brain damage and die of heat stroke while in a parked car, even in the shade with the windows cracked open. Cover your bases. If you know that you'll be out and about, leave your dog at home, indoors where it's safe. If it's too warm for us to sit in a parked car, then it's definitely too hot for a spot. Thank you.
3: I love my dog as much as I love you. But you may think my dog will always come
0: through. Right. Margaret Strahlmeier, as an animal lover who grew up in Austria, she was inspired to write her first picture book, What to Know Before You Get Your Dog, from her daughter's relentless campaign to have her own dog. Marguerite's passion for creativity and art, along with her desire to raise her daughter's awareness about the responsibility of dog ownership, resulted in the creation of this book. She has a degree in fine arts and is the recipient of the Anna Blanc Verna Award for Creative Thinking. Currently, Marguerite lives in Connecticut with her family and their fluffy dog, Scruffy. Marguerite, uh, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yes, hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I have to know I I just we're just uh, that that uh, description of your daughter's relentless campaign. We got to know a little bit about this this relentless daughter of yours. Uh, How old was she. (laughs) And how long did this campaign last and what nasty tactics did this child uh, employ on you. (laughs)
2: Yeah, my daughter was about seven or eight years old, and um, now she's she's 14, so it took a little okay. bit longer, but she always, always wanted to have her own dog. She wanted to have a, a toy Pomeranian. She had everything picked out, name, everything. And we always had dogs. We had a golden retriever back then when she was eight years old, and she just kept begging for her own dog. And um, that's how it all started. I, I wanted to teach her to be responsible. I grew up with, I had my own dog, it was a German Shepherd back then. And um, it, I wanted to teach her to be responsible and to, to learn how to treat a, a living creature the right way, to be gentle and give her the responsibility to, to care for, for a dog or for a pup, even though we had one, but she wanted her own one. So I, I went out and I, I looked for books and I couldn't really find anything. Uh, which would tell us step by step uh, what to know b- before you get a dog, especially uh-huh. for little ones like that. That's how uh-huh. I started. That's how I started writing my own book. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. So she had had, so you and the family
0: had, had the retriever, but the sense of primary responsibility for, for that dog was not hers. And the idea with, with this, with this new dog, was that she's up, right? This is going to be her, her responsibility, dusk to dawn, was and, and that that was
2: the the deal that got struck. That was the deal that got struck. Yes, the the golden retriever. That was more like a, fam, a family, more like my husband's dog. Let's say it this way: that was his baby, and, and uh, this way, you know, she wanted to have her own dog.
0: That's great. So, uh, so which came first, the the book or the <laughs> the dog? So, it, she, you, she got the dog, and it was in the course of writing the dog, writing the writing the, the uh, of of. Getting the dog, that you realize that there was this gap that there was there are no children's books that really prepare uh, prepare a child for for what the responsibilities are or was it what was the genesis? I guess what uh, did, was the book finished before before you got the dog? Uh,
2: that's correct. No, uh, the book was not finished. the book The book was finished but not published, and I didn't have any illustrations. the The, the manuscript was primarily done. I needed, I did some editing afterwards. But she ended up getting the dog uh, when she was ten years old.
1: Uh, she um, so
2: hard. she started okay. begging. She had to wait about a year and a half, two years. Good. especially for toy pomeranians. Um, many breeders. We were looking to adopt a dog. She really wanted a toy pomeranian. She was so hooked on that dog. She she knew every dog breed. She had her dog books, but she wanted a toy pomeranian, and many. Uh, many shelters did not have a toy Pomeranian. They had a big, any other dog, but not a toy. And so we went to a breeder and they would not, even, I'm very happy about that, they would not really give a toy dog to a family where the children are younger than 10 years old because they, ask, they, they, they need special it. care and special responsibility. And I was very happy about that. So we had plenty of time to prepare her. We, we, we educated her, we, we picked out the names and everything. It was like getting ready for a baby. And um, I finished the book um, during the pandemic because there was, there was um, back then when, when many of, of, like when you said, children are begging their parents to get a dog. I saw in many cases that parents did end up buying a dog for their children and then a month later or so they didn't know what to do with it and they couldn't handle the responsibility and the dog went back to a shelter. Oh, that's terrible. That That, is terrible, right? And during the pandemic, um, it, it was a big eye opener for me again because so many shelters are uh were were empty the dogs were organic right
0: that was that was a like this wonderful weird sort of uh blessing in disguise if you will and uh are you sensing that it's that they're filling up again That that,
2: exactly that was my my big concern i was just i was saying oh my gosh what happens with all those dogs or, or cats uh, when the pandemic is over, will they go back yeah. to the shelters? That's when when it I was really determined to finish this book, yeah. and and that's when I took my manuscript well, back
0: it's up. It's it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I for for people in a similar situation, I, I you know, it's a very it's a children's book. I highly I highly recommend it. But uh, <laughs> I, I saw it as you're really you, you get to the end. I won't make a spoiler alert, but the idea is that the child is is. It better be ready, right? You're 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 challenging the child almost. Look, here's all here's everything that you can expect. Here's what's going to happen, and you almost make them uh, sign the contract when they get to the end end of the book. So this is a commitment, which is which is a really a fantastic uh, approach. Um, I particularly like um, there's there's a degree of real candor and honesty. Uh, in fact, if if you indulge me, I'm going to read a page uh, a very honest page it's page. Lucky page thirteen. Yes. let me see how i do with my rhyme scheme you'll <laughs> you'll also need to learn to pick up doggy poo Ew. to feed and keep him clean is something you must do now that's a, a nice simple uh you know clean rhyme but but i i wonder how often uh, you know a child uh getting ready to getting ready to uh take responsibility for another living creature understands that you know and it's a very honest line it, Doggy poo, and it's gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just wonder what, what, uh, how, how did you come up with that line? And did you know? What, were you a little nervous, you know, to actually include
2: that? yeah and no I was really not that nervous because it's always a debate I had with my daughter <laughs> she didn't yeah. want to she she wants to walk the dog but then you know when it comes to picking up it's like mom can you pick up right but she mm-hmm. had to do it so it was part of her job and part of her responsibility Good. I just wanted to lay it out straightforward I guess it's being part of of European and there is no it, yeah. it's like you get it the way it is and and yeah. if you commit to something, it's a commitment for life. It's not a commitment for months or, or two months or so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, we've had, I actually had uh, several episodes on the show, particularly around the holiday season where, where we talk about that, you know, that, that people uh, don't understand, especially when it comes to children, you know, that they think, Oh, it's a gift, you know, it's something and then the novelty wears out and then what? And it's really important. I think that, um, you know that that particularly children who, who want this and understand understand the, the long term commitment that that they're getting into. So uh, you know, I congratulate you. What's what's the um, what is the the book has been published? Is
2: is it currently available or is it? Uh, the book has not been published yet. Okay. It's on pre order, uh, but it will be published on. Um, the ebook will be published June nineteenth, and, uh, and the the hardcover and the softcover are June twenty first. Okay, so it's coming around the
0: corner. And uh, where where can people go to uh, to get it?
2: They can go and get it on Amazon,
0: of course. <laughs> I, I would anticipate this a copy of this thing being on every veterinarian's waiting room. That that's that's got to be the goal. You want this that. Is-
2: it's a big plan and and everywhere else every shelter i'm I'm a big advocate i i support animals all over the world i I love animals so yes this book will hopefully be out there in many many places and do a lot of good if possible excellent
0: and do do you have a your own website or anything that people can go for uh, for more information
2: yeah i do have my website it's
0: margaretstromeyer.com okay and uh, we'll go ahead and put that link up on our, our website as well. All right. So again, so that's uh, that's Margaret Strohmeyer. She's uh, author of the forthcoming book, "What to Know Before You Get Your Dog," and if you have a if you have a uh, little one who is thinking about it, you're probably going to want to get this book and uh, and make them read it cover to cover before you commit to that dog. That's yes. Margaret, thanks so much for your time.
2: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here. All right.
0: All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to have my conversation with uh, Dr. Tom Picard of All Pets House Calls. Uh, in keeping with with our uh, previous theme here and things that you
3: really don't want to see. Your pets don't like getting in cages and cars to go to the vet any more than you like sitting in a waiting room. Why not remove the stress for both of you? Have All Pets House Calls with me, Dr. Tom Picard. Come take care of your pets from the comfort of their own couch. We do checkups and exams for illnesses, problems, shots, and much more. Monday through Saturday appointments throughout far and wide areas of Philadelphia and surrounding suburbs. Please call us at 215-843-1780 or please feel free to submit questions so I can answer them on the air for you. Contact us by email at allpetshousecalls at comcast.net or visit our website at allpetshousecallsvet.com.
1: Our vet is very helpful. We think our vet is smart and nice. Our vet takes such good care of us. but would rather stay home, would rather be home to catch mice
0: All right, it's been several weeks since uh, we've had a we've had the honor here of being rejoined here by uh, my colleague and friend Dr. Tom Picard of All Pet's house calls and uh, we are we are back in the saddle. So, uh, Dr. Tom, welcome back.
3: Hey, happy kind of almost uh pre-post COVID, everyone.
0: That's the spirit, you know. That, that and that's you know what? That that's where we are. We're in this weird sort of you know, we 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 don't know what to do. We've been so long trying to getting annoyed at everyone who's not wearing masks and now we can't do that anymore and we don't know how to deal with that, you know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but, uh, well i don't know i'm still practicing the same techniques <laughs> for yeah, can't the most hurt
0: parts. right can't hurt <laughs> well speaking of hurting so we're uh we're coming up here's're uh, we're, we're in we're coming up on the first day of summer here and uh uh nice and we're, we're we've got a nice preamble because we had several hot days already and i know that this is a we had done a talk about it a I don't know how long months ago. Some of the, some of the things you have to worry about when, when the weather turns warm, you know, and and some of the parasites. But one of the one of the worst things that happens in the hot weather, in terms of uh, in terms of parasites in our pets, is uh, this thing called mange uh and it's pretty nasty so uh wh- what can you tell us about it what is it and what should it, what should pet owners be looking for and what can they do about it
3: well certainly everybody's heard that term you know that oh look there's that mangy dog you know i'm assuming yeah. it's still kind of a term i don't know yeah. how old that is <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. but uh, you at least hear it in the old movies or something um and you, you, okay what does that mean And so, well, as a veterinarian, you know, we sit around thinking about things like diseases like mange and up because that's what we enjoy. And (laughs) so (laughs) I was thinking, (laughs) I was sitting around thinking about mange. So here we are. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But no, it's actually, you know, quite interesting because uh, it's one of the most common uh, diseases that uh, clients, pet owners uh, mistake for something else, and it's one of the most common things that veterinarians mistake for something else, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. Uh, Pet owners often see any kind of fur uh, issue with a dog or cat, uh, missing fur, red skin, itchiness, which could be from fleas or allergies or many things. Uh, Many people think it's mange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they necessarily know what mange is, uh, but they'll think it's that they mistake allergies to fleas or, or things like that as mange veterinarians. On the other hand, mange is not super, super common. Uh, so veterinarians often mistake mange for allergies. So oh, it's oh. interesting how it's the opposite That's end of the spectrum. Like so what is it? Yeah. So Cause what... they, they look very similar. Yeah. Uh, you have an animal uh, getting a uh, loss of fur, very itchy in a lot of cases, some cases not there's types of different types of these mites that cause it these little nearly microscopic and sometimes microscopic little creatures They're Most of them are, they're in the arachnid family. So they're related to spiders, spiders. but they're nearly, it's, most of them are invisible to the naked eye. Some of them, you can kind of make it out their movements and see them a little bit.
0: So, um, so, so as opposed to like fleas, for example, when you get that flea comb and you can yeah. sort of comb, and you, and you can—it's visible to the naked eye, right? So You'll see you fleas see look like there. a
3: little poppy seed, like the little black poppy seeds uh, on top of like you know bagel or rye bread or something. Okay. It looks like they're running through the fur. That's—they're about that size.
1: But Whereas fleas,
3: the, the yeah not, fleas are, okay. where okay. and they're really fast. You see a fast yeah, moving yeah. poppy seed—that's <laughs> a flea. Right,
0: but and, mange uh, these you said the you're not gonna are, see them. You can't see them at all.
3: And, exactly, oh, yeah, okay. and you're not. It, Unless you have a microscope or you really, really, really know what you're looking for. Okay. Uh, and there's basically two types of mange. Uh, one is called, caused by the Demodex uh, mite. And there's uh, like 65 different types of them because there's one for every species almost that, t- that get these type of mites. Uh, has almost their own typing exclusively, so you don't get cat, you know, demodex and we don't get Thurs, that type of thing. Okay. Uh, so there is some crossover, but generally speaking, it's like that, and that type of might. You usually will see in very young animals uh, or ones with immune system problems. Same with like people, I suppose, more the immune system problem. Uh, They like to be inside the hair follicles. They're kind of normally on the body. A lot of times they will be just there forever. And they just they just overgrow in certain situations in these hair follicles. You could find them on your skin right now. Uh, Sometimes in your eyelashes, it's like the spot you'll find them. I know it's kind of gross to think, but (laughs) especially (laughs) if you have eyelashes that look a little puffy right where they meet uh, the skin that goes into your eyelid, mm, you know, potentially. You know, it's it's that's mites are one of the things that cause like those uh, styes and things you get. And, you know, that's where they'll find them in people Uh, in dogs and cats. We have to scrape their skin usually to get them out of those hair follicles. We usually lose a dull razor blade so we don't cut them. But you're kind of you make the skin kind of sore and you look under a microscope. You hope to see them. Sometimes you don't. Uh, When you do, we treat them a certain way with different drugs. The other type of mite is called the Sarcoptes Uh, Sarcoptes scabii. uh It's only one type, uh, and most mammals can get this. In fact, probably all mammals. and People can get it from dogs and cats and vice versa. We spread them to each other. Luckily, they're not super common. That's how they're spread, though, like uh, bedding, blankets that animals share or with a person or close contact, skin-to-skin. Uh, one of the ways you tell in people, oddly enough, uh, is uh, you'll take like a magic marker, but the type that's not indelible, so not not a permanent marker, mm-hmm. and kind of go over the rash on your skin somewhere. It's often around where your clothing meets or something. Uh, and then um, take an alcohol wipe and wipe off the excess uh, ink from the non-permanent marker and if it leaves behind like lines the color of the ink underneath it seemingly your skin that's tunnels from the lights that the ink went in there too oh my goodness <laughs> so yeah that's ah. kind of gross too isn't it ah. <laughs> but can you do that for,
0: for, for your pets or that's just a, a human that, that's
3: why we can't really do that with dogs and cats very ah. much we'd have to shave them you know oh, ah. instead with them, well oftentimes they're bare skinned and it's like that's really it's the symptoms with this one we tell Sar- sarcoptes is the sarcoptic mange is the worst it's super super itchy super really messes their skin up it's gnarled up and pink and black and nasty and it looks the fur's missing and and they're they're bleeding and scabbing the the eye <laughs> almost goes with that uh, and it's just really nasty. Luckily, sometimes it's self-limiting, at least like in people or things like that. Usually uh, sometimes you need different like these lime sulfur nasty dips. Uh, yeah, I had a fox actually one time I saw a across from my home and I, it was in the summer. It was really mangy looking. And I was like, whoa, that, that fox has mange. And I was scared because I didn't want to come in my yard and be where my dog is and him getting it. Uh, so. I, it's not, not supposed to work really that well because it's not a strong enough dose, but I left this heartworm medicine that my, for my dog uh, that's chewable stuff out where the fox had been. Uh, I was getting into my neighbor's uh, uh, pet's food and that, that ivermectin that's in there, the, the heartworm thing was gone the next day. And I, I didn't see the fox for you know maybe a month and a half or two i thought oh, i might probably die because they'll die not long after they mm-hmm. get it that bad um and i saw it again and it was completely all its fur had grown back and Whoa. i'm pretty sure it was the same Whoa. fox and I was like yes <laughs> it That's was such pretty a cool good feeling to do that <laughs> so
0: is that is that for our pets is that the um it once you and it i mean it sounds like the diagnosis is is, is really complicated it's a hard but once yes. you, once you've been able you to confirm to-
3: you kind of almost have to treat it once you realize it's not allergies. That's yeah. what it's misdiagnosed as a lot, severe so allergies. The thing is, the the cortisone we use, prednisone, will oftentimes make it worse, which is not the sign of allergies. Allergies get better with the prednisone. Uh, and it's just after a while, you, I think that's how the diagnosis is mostly made. Mm-hmm. You won't try Down the error. mites a lot. Sometimes you can, but the, the skin is so inflamed and thickened and you, you you know, you you'd but, just be lucky.
0: So, if 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 the if, so if I get this right, if you give prednisone when the situation is not mange, you're going to make it worse. Or did I get that
3: back? If it is mange, it's sarcoptic mange, the 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 the, the, the worst type of mange. Uh-huh. It'll often make it worse. It'll make it yeah. worse.
0: All right. So, the, so what is is, is I mean, as you're describing now? You sort of talk. There, there is you know internal medicine i.e pills uh liquid and and but you also mentioned a bath i mean what is is, is it yeah
3: there's there's it's a nasty smelling lime sulfur dip. And when I say sulfur, I mean, yes, it oh, smells like you're giving your pet a rotten egg bath. So
1: it, do you that's basically...
3: one we don't like to use too much because it's that's bad for older animals. Uh-huh. It tends to be sometimes either very young or very old to get these sometimes um, immune compromise. You try to use the mildest stuff ever. So that's sometimes like, the, like the, the, the medicine that seems like it's too weak to work. That's kind of what we want to use in a really mm-hmm. old animal. Is it, is it a one-time? And if that doesn't work, then we'll try something stronger.
0: Okay. I was gonna say, is, is it a one-time bath type thing or do you, or do, you do patients? You know, do you have-
3: uh, they often need these multiple, multiple times. Yeah. Depending on what's being used. There's all sorts of compounds and drugs now. It can only they, used to usually be like.
0: Can, can the pet owners these do it? Their-
3: and like ivermectin.
0: Can the pet owners? Uh, it's very,
3: or you have to be, you have to be, it's, it's gloves and the whole mask and the whole deal. So I don't recommend the okay. deaths personally. I like to see if something's safer, like ivermectin works first and you can give it by an injection too. That was my You can next, give right. a full on dose by injection.
0: So they can have, yes. they can but get I, the shot. an old
3: animal, I'd try this, the low dose first, like even in those heartworm bills.
0: So they, they could potentially have the shot without having the bath? Yes. Oh, Okay do you do you start them off on that i mean i guess each case is different but would you would you give them give them a shot at the shot before doing the stinky bath <laughs>
3: yes and absolutely and how yeah, long does the, it the take? bath thing is not fun it's I was not fun saying, at all how,
0: how long does it t- i mean it takes a while for you to see if you're getting any results right you can't just is it a 10 day to after the after the bath or shot to see if
3: oh you know with, yeah, with like the stronger dose of say an ivermectin and there's other drugs too there's there's so many now actually um it, it works fairly quickly. It, it, you know, it's going to take a while for the skin and the fur, but it's Fair like right you'll mean. see the inflammation subside first because that stuff starts to kill the mites in the skin uh, and, and the, they're dying. So all the irritation from them being there starts to subside mm-hmm. probably just within, you know, well, probably really within the, the moment you start giving the shot, it's doing a little something. But, you know, over mm-hmm. the course of a few days, you should definitely be noticing something.
0: Are they going to shed anything? I think
3: you're not going to see anything. It's just going to be their skin starts to improve. The redness goes. If you're lucky, the fur wasn't too wrecked by them chewing and scratching themselves. And it comes back. Sometimes it never comes back. You see that blackened stuff some animals have who lick themselves a lot or whatever. That's the, these enzymes in their saliva uh, that are very powerful. It's like part of the pre-digestive process when they eat meat and stuff. Uh, and it blackens the skin over time. Wow. So and then often when the spur's been chewed out there, no matter why what they do it, whether it's mites or not, uh, if fleas it could be or regular allergies, that blackening stays there and the fur never grows back there usually.
0: Brutal, brutal. <laughs> well, wow. well, you know it's. Uh, I, 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 That's why
3: if you're not sure. And, and and whatever you're doing is not working. <laughs> when things aren't working, that's when we start thinking harder.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: So that's what owners should do as well. If something doesn't seem to work, don't wait. Call the vet. Is like sometimes waiting yeah. is the the very. The worst usually, waiting is not a good thing in in the medical field. Waiting is never good. Usually.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. No. And, and uh, it's, it, if it, if there was one mantra, I think from all, all the. All of our talks, it's, it's uh, when in doubt, you know, there's no harm. There's no harm in, in, in calling early, you know. Uh, it's oh, just- we're,
3: we're so much more. Oh, trust me, I, I, I would take, you know, if I was in somebody else's shoes, I would be taking my pets to the vet. Before myself to my own doctors for sure. And I know most people are probably like that because they don't want to go to the doctor. But, you know, definitely if you're, you're so inclined, try. You know, hopefully now things are opening up more too with pandemic yeah. pre, hopefully post, uh, almost over maybe ish. So uh, you should hopefully be able to see your vets more. So please do. Awesome! All right, hey, listen. your pets haven't seen them in maybe a year and a say, half. Yeah,
0: yeah, it'll be the, the, the happy reunion, right? All right, hey, listen, uh, exactly. th- 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 thanks for that advice. That is that is really good stuff. So um, that's our time. I want to want to thank my uh, guests. Well, so one, <laughs> Marguerite Strohmeyer, we'll definitely check out her book. Um, and uh, for our, our probably we're, we're probably going to take a couple weeks off here on the, on the podcast here. Just uh, we're getting into, into the dog days here, no pun intended, but. Uh, for our next week you're going to be looking for an update here from there was a big development a couple weeks ago on the happy the elephant case from our friends over the non-human rights project very major development there we're going to have a representative from them rejoin us to give us the latest we're also going to have a start a new series here um there's an organization out there called sentient media and you're going to want to hear about what what this uh what this organization is doing and they're 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 uh, uh bringing uh Bringing different angles to this whole question of uh, how we we deal with our our sentient non-human companions. So um, uh, that that's coming up in a, like I say in a couple of weeks. And uh, if there's a uh, don't I a need point.
3: to know about Happy the Elephant.
0: You got it. You definitely so you don't want to don't want to miss this. Uh, all right. So once again, I want to thank my guest uh, marguerite Strohmeyer. And as I mentioned, we'll always love to hear from you with your comments, ideas, or suggestions. Or if you got a topic you'd like Dr. Picard to uh, address, just check out theotheranimals.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Other Animals. Don't forget to check out our partner podcasters at iroarpod.com. All right, we talked about what's coming up next week, so uh, we'll just let leave this till our next show. Just go find a belly to rub. Have a great 4th of July everyone. We'll see you next week.